from the North Devon coast to the Atlantic shores, from the tropical rainforests to the sunny Azores, from Icelandic wastelands to Australian deserts. This is Cauldron FM, where the magic really happens. Enter Merlin! But beware, do not interrupt his magic! Well, hi and welcome to everybody that's listening to Cauldron FM this evening. I'm the Merlin and I'm broadcasting to you from North Devon, from the studios, uh, across the world. So wherever you are, I hope you enjoy the show. And what we're doing today is a little bit different. Um, We're doing one of our book reviews. But first of all, I'm actually doing a pre-recorded but live interview with the author. Uh, The book is called Love Hurts, and the author is a lady called Catherine Green, and I had the pleasure of interviewing her not so very long ago. And then when we've done the interview, uh, we'll go into the actual book itself, and the excerpts are being read by my very good friend, Emma. And those of you that have listened for a long time would know that Emma does do quite a lot of work with me. Uh, she does book reviews, she does some of the adverts and station idents. Let's start off with no further ado with a little piece of music by a band called Hobby Horse, and this is Scarborough Fair. i 
Making magical, mystical memories. Merlin. Right, are you there? I'm here, yes. Cool, excellent. Well, let's start off by welcoming Catherine Green, um, author and spiritual mum, pagan mum in her own words. Hiya, Catherine. Hello, Dave. Uh, lovely to have you join us. And... Um, Tonight, just to give the, view, the listeners a, a bit of an overview, what we're going to do is we're going to ask Catherine a bit of a, a personal history, and then later on we're going to go over to my colleague Emma, who's going to read an excerpt from one of Catherine's books. So, Catherine, can you tell me a little bit about the young girl, Catherine, where you grew up, what schools you went to, that sort of thing, just to set the background scenery? Yes, I certainly can. I was um, raised in a small town called Cheadle, which is in uh, North Staffordshire, closer to Stoke-on-Trent. And um, I went to the local schools there, the Cheadle County Primary and the Cheadle High School, and um, pretty much lived a very quiet and normal, sheltered kind of life. Um, But I was always a dreamer, and I spent a lot of time in the library. My mum used to take me there on a weekend. Every Saturday morning, we used to go to the library. I'd get out a big pile of books, and I'd read them during the week and return them the following weekend to do the whole thing again. Oh, cool. Because you do say that um, you were discovering worlds beyond human existence. (laughs) I certainly was, yes. It it was a very, very small library, but I found a lot of books in there that, that sparked my imagination. And um, we used to go out and about playing, you know, riding bikes along by the, the brook and climbing trees and things. And we'd, we were always making up games and pretending we were climbing mountains and things. So, yeah, lots of oh, stuff cool. <laughs> And I, I actually was quite tickled by the comment that you made right at the beginning of your autobiography, um, or your biography, or whichever one it is, I don't know. I never know the answer to that question. But where you say that you were raised on a diet of books, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Quite an interesting comment to make. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it was my mum's fault, I would say. She she loves reading, and um, so she was determined that me and my brother and later my sister would all be taught to read at a very young age. And uh, so she encouraged us, basically, to read as much as we could. Um, my brother wasn't quite so taken on the books, but I think I read his share. And, mm-hmm. uh, and he, everybody in our family... Um, used to make jokes about me always having a book in my hand everywhere I went. And we've got lots of photos in the family album of me in various places, just sat in a corner with the book. Um, So, yes, it it was a bit of a joke. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, in your opinion, then, which came first, your interest in the spiritual path that you follow or your writing? And if so, whichever one it was, how do you think this came about? Um, it was probably the spiritual interest. Um, I'm not really sure if anything specific triggered what was to become I don't know, kind of an obsession, but from as young as I can remember, I was always really fascinated by ghost stories and uh, tales of monsters and vampires and all that kind of thing. 
and I used to watch anything that I was allowed to watch on the TV, which wasn't very much because my dad was quite strict. <laughs> but I used to watch whatever I could. There was a TV series called Strange But True that I used to watch when I was a child, and I know that had quite an influence on me because it um, showed me a lot of things that could be out there. Um, and then I started finding the books that told these stories. Um, and, yeah, I just always had a sense that there was something out there, something that we couldn't necessarily see unless we looked for it, but I was determined to find whatever it was. Right, okay. So how then, if that if that's your feeling that that came first, how did you sort of switch into sort of this writing about um, the spiritual, the supernatural, etc.? I suppose it was, it just felt natural for me to do that. That wasn't really, wasn't really a conscious decision. I mean, when I was a child, I used to have a, a vague idea that I might like to be an author one day, but I never really thought that it would happen. And then as I got a bit older, when I was a teenager, I completely changed track and decided I was going into broadcasting and all sorts of other things. Um, but then it, it, it was just a case of, I had a story that started started to develop in my mind probably when I was about 16 or 17 and um and it, it wouldn't go away it just kind of haunted me for several years going over and over and it would change every time and so eventually I realized that I had to write it down and then once I acknowledged it it was as though all the rest of the stories just came flooding out and and now I just need to write <laughs> I picked up on there that something that I didn't know that you said you've got an interest in broadcasting. Where does that fit into the place? Well, um, to be honest, I, I I don't really know what it was that um, I was going to do when I was younger. It was kind of... I, I always liked the idea of becoming an author, but I had a... I suppose it was a confidence issue and I decided that I wasn't... maybe wasn't good enough to become an author. But then I decided I wanted to go and work in, in the media. I had an idea of becoming a, a, a children's TV presenter at one point. And that was something that I was quite adamant about for, for um, pretty much most of my teenage years. But I didn't know anything about it. And it was only when I started actually researching the industry and looking at getting into it that I decided it wasn't going to be the right place for me after all. And oh, right. So, yeah, it was... Um, I suppose there was a lot of naivety, really. I didn't. Yeah, well, I didn't you know, well there's, yeah. <laughs> there's always ways in, you know. I mean, uh, Cauldron TV's bubbling away under the surface. We might be looking for presenters on that. Well, I'm always interested. <laughs> cool, excellent. Right, so coming back to your literary career, mm. can you remember what your first published works were and where were they published? Yes, my very first published item is a short story. And it's in an anthology called Devils, Demons and Werewolves, published by Bridgehouse Publishing. Uh, they're based in Manchester. And it was published in 2010. My story is called The Teen Game. And uh, that story is a vampire story. Um, and basically the anthology is young adult stories. And The Teen Game is about a female vampire who is an eternal 17-year-old, and she returns to the UK after a, a, a period of time spent living. She decides to attend 
a college in Manchester and, and pretend to be a normal teenager for a while, but she's not exactly the kind that will live a quiet life and she causes a bit of trouble while she's there. And so that was my first one. Oh, cool. Um, and so you, have you sort of continued to write short stories and then developed this book or have you written sort of more lengthy publications or, or how has it worked? At the moment I'm focusing on writing some novels. Um, I did write a few more short stories. I've got, I kind of got the bug, as it were, when that one was accepted for the anthology. Yeah. I'd, uh, I'd written a few more at the time and then I, um, I saw a competition for another anthology with a separate publisher um, which was Mirador, who subsequently published my novel. And um, I got my second short story published with them. Um, that would have been early 2011, I think it was. And um, But then I decided I was going to focus on the novel, so I wrote, I, I moved into, um, once I'd finished writing Love Hurts, I then decided to start writing the sequel for that one. And... As I was writing it, I got the idea for a separate novel based on one of the characters, so I decided I had to write that one as well. Oh, cool. So, uh, well, yeah. It's growing organically, then? It kind of is, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I'll start writing something, and then one of the characters will, will kind of get into my head a bit more and decide that they want a little bit more uh, of the limelight, and I have to write their story. <laughs> so and do you, do you find that um, to sort of help you develop these characters... But in some part, you find yourself living the life of the character. Um, I suppose I do kind of start acting like them, yes. It's a bit strange because I'll notice myself just in everyday life and I'll think, oh, that's a bit, that's not like me. I must be kind of channeling one of the characters at uh -huh. the time. Yeah, it's, yeah, it is different. Right. A um, little bit more personal stuff now. Can you tell me a little bit more about your experiences as a pagan mum? For all yeah. those other pagan mums out there who, who <laughs> okay. perhaps sometimes feel a little bit alone in their in their path that they've chosen, mm -hmm. and you know how is how is integrating your life as an author, as a mum, and a pagan? How's it, how is it all fitted together? Yeah, well, it is still developing. To be honest, it's something that the whole um, officially being a pagan and being a writer really has only come about in the last sort of two to three years um, I was I was kind of on the spiritual path for several years I was researching different um, belief systems and all sorts of different things and learning all about various um, sort of places where I could be and um, eventually it was it was really only last year that I decided I identified mostly with the with the um, the pagan faith and um, my daughter now is only just over a year old. But uh, it's funny that since I decided to officially live that kind of lifestyle, I seem to be drawn more and more towards people that, that do the same thing. So I'm making lots more friends who are pagans, which is making it much easier to sort of set up a, a, a background for her to grow up in. Fantastic. Great. And... Excuse me. You're you're going to raise her as as a Wiccan, is she, or um, or anybody? No. Well, um, my husband is not quite convinced on the whole thing at the moment. So he's um, he doesn't really identify himself with any particular religion, but I don't think he'd quite agree with it being raised under anything specific. Right. So it'll more be be more of a case that I will I'll show her what it is that 
I believe in and, and the ways that I live and she can see obviously the ways that her father lives and um, she can decide for herself when she gets a bit older what yeah. she wants to do. Uh-huh. Cool. Excellent. Right, so um, as we've already discussed, I mean, a little later in this show, Emma's going to be reading an extract from the book, Love Hurts. Um, but can you give uh, the listeners a little bit of a history of the work and a bit of an overview um, you know, sort of a, 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 in a nutshell, a synopsis of it. Yes, I can. Uh, Love Hurts is the first in a series of books set in the fictional Cornish town of Redcliffe. Um, the town itself was kind of born out of, um, of holidays I used to spend in a town called Lou, uh, which is near Plymouth. Um, and I sort of developed Redcliffe when I began writing Love Hurts because I knew that I knew the story would be set in Cornwall because I wanted the I wanted the seaside setting and I wanted somewhere that could be a little bit wild and a bit mysterious. And I've always liked the stories of the the old um, pirate tales and smugglers' tales and all that kind of thing. So that just felt like the right place for it to be. Um, Love Hurts is about a woman who runs a bookshop in Redcliffe and she runs that with her best friend. And she's quite happy, um, living an independent life and enjoying herself. And then one de- one night she meets a man who is a police detective. And she subsequently falls in love with him. Uh, she's got a few emotional issues herself because she was determined never to fall in love. And then she meets his identical twin brother, which also causes a little bit of confusion for her. As the story progresses, she then discovers, uh, through quite a violent way, that one of them is a vampire and one is a werewolf, and the whole adventure kicks off. Oh, excellent. That sounds <laughs> really good. You've got <laughs> the appetite, I must be honest. <laughs> so finally then, just to, to wind things up, um, could you point the listeners in the direction of how they can get the hold of a copy of Love Hurts if uh, they would like to read it? I can indeed. Love Hurts is available uh, online. It's available on Amazon, both as a paperback and as an e-book. You will find it at Waterstone stores. It's stocked in some of the stores in um, Stoke-on-Trent, South Cheshire, but you can order it online as well, um, or you can order it through the um, through the shops individually. Um, it's basically available in any UK retailer if you ask them for it. Um, and it's also available, there's different ebook formats available if you go to my website. Uh, my website is www.catherine-green.co.uk. Fantastic, Catherine. And just final question, do you have a blog? I do, yes. Um, my personal blog, which covers... Um, it gives updates about my writing. It also gives updates about my spiritual journey and my experiences being a mother. Um, that blog is www.spookymrsgreen.wordpress.com. Fantastic. That's that's absolutely wonderful. It's been a pleasure to talk to you this evening, Catherine. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed being grilled by the Merlin. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly have. Good. And... Um, I'll now sort of uh, say goodbye, and uh, we'll pass this over to Emma now to read the extract from the book. So 
Thank you very, very much, Catherine. Thank you. Mystical. Magical. Merlin. Fast Lane Taxis of Ilfracombe offer a courteous, friendly, reliable service using modern four, six or eight-seater vehicles. Whether it's an airport run, a shopping trip, a school contract or simply a night out in our area, we pride ourselves on being the providers of quality transport. To contact Fastlane, call 01271 866-776 or visit our Facebook page Fastlane Taxis going the extra mile for your business Coming to an internet site near you very shortly is a brand new business The Witch's Shop It caters for everything a witch pagan or druid could possibly need for any occasion. So to find us, visit www.the-witches-shop.co.uk or you could find us on Facebook. So remember, for everything you could possibly need in your witch's broom cupboard, visit the-witches-shop.co.uk Sometimes we need an extra pair of hands when looking after an elderly relative or we need a little help as we approach our twilight years. We specialise in providing a personal care service. Our experienced care team can provide assistance with bathing, shopping, meal preparation at reasonable and competitive rates. Please contact Alison on 01271 864 886. Candor Care, providing care in the community. Warm, comforting, and crafted with love. Old world style and grace handmade to your specifications. Each item is truly unique and all handmade. If you are looking for something bold and showy, or something just like Grandma used to make, search Cozy Crochet and Crafts on Facebook. The Mrs. Mop's range of chutneys and preserves includes traditional family recipes and our own creations using surprising new flavours in amazing combinations. All our chutneys are free from artificial preservatives and by always using the best locally sourced ingredients we are helping to maintain our local economy. Our range is continually growing and you can try them for yourself by booking one of our Come Taste With Me parties. You supply the wine and we'll even bring the crackers. To book a party, call us on 07581 735 769 or email admin at mrsmopschutneys.co.uk Oh, by the way, Mrs Mops Chutneys can now be bought from Nana Sue's on Ilfracombe High Street. Wish Upon a Star Weddings is a place where dreams come true. Our aim is to make your wedding day one of the most magical and memorable days of your life. We will assist in making your dreams into reality and make your special day as unique as you are. We create packages that are specifically designed for you and taking into account your budget, your day can be as modest or as lavish as you wish. You are in control. 
Choose venues from country mansions through to contemporary hotels with stunning views. Whatever you have in mind, we will be able to work with you to create something extra special. You can speak to Kim on 01271 862 944 or 07811 322 962 or you can email her at info at wishuponastarweddings.com. After an hour working out in the gym, I really enjoy nothing more than relaxing with a healing massage therapy. Karen Fergaline of Little Birds is a fully qualified, fully insured massage therapist. But you don't have to go to the gym to enjoy one of the Little Birds treatments. You can enjoy an individual massage, reflexology or aromatherapy sessions, or maybe you can host one of their pamper parties for you and a group of friends. Or you can organise yourself a group therapy session. To contact Karen, give her a call on 07 969 564528. Email her at littlebirdsmassage at gmail.com or visit her website at littlebirds service at reasonable rates. Our slogan, we don't cut corners, we clean them, says it all. So if you want fresh clean carpets, give us a call on 07 530 630 001. The Carpet Fresh Man. Cauldron FM, the sound of magic. I never understood the concept of being in love. It always seemed like such a big deal and yet everywhere you look you see people getting their hearts broken, scorned women and cheating men. Practically every TV show, film or novel has some sort of love theme running through it. People thrive on relationships, they chase each other for romance, for excitement or simply just to be together. They argue, fight, make up and break up. I've seen a lot of people hurt by love and then I've seen few people who are happy with it. The whole subject confuses me, it frightens me. And because I don't understand it, I don't miss it, and I certainly don't chase it. Don't get me wrong, love must be worth fighting for, because everyone always seems to be chasing it. But not me. No, I decided after my parents died, and my family abandoned me, that I would look after number one before anything else. Then I met Liz, and developed a love of different kind. Love for my best friend, my sister. I made an exception and vowed to always protect her, no matter what. But when it came to men, not a chance. I wasn't interested. I didn't need romance, and I didn't need a relationship. Then I met Jack Mason and his brother Danny. All of my carefully built defences came crashing down around me. Love is dangerous and painful. It's confusing and exhausting. Love will get you killed. Yet despite everything, I find myself going back for more, unable to break free of this trap. My life was normal and happy and successful before I met the Mason brothers. Then they showed me what I had been lacking and what I needed to be truly to be fulfilled. So let me tell you the story about a picturesque seaside town in southwestern England and the secrets of its seemingly innocent inhabitants. Chapter 1 I was running along the clifftop in the pouring rain and it was late at night, cold and stormy. My breath caught in my throat and I could barely see where I was going and the sea was crashing against the rocks beneath me. I was terrified, running from a monster behind me. He chased me and I couldn't look back, I just couldn't. My throat felt raw from grasping and my hair soaked and cold against my neck, water dripping down my body. 
I shivered, but I had to run. I had to escape. Then my foot caught in the rough grass, and I fell onto my hands and knees with a cry. I scrambled to my feet, but he was there, the monster right behind me. I screamed as he jumped, and I turned to face him to accept my fate. I woke with a start and sat up straight in bed. Covered in sweat and gasping for air. It was just a dream. It was so vivid. I even knew the clifftop location where I'd been running. It wasn't far from home, out on the main road from Redcliffe to the nearby city. What was I running away from? Was it some subconscious fear of myself? Why could I feel the rain on my skin and why was I shivering in a dream? I shook my body to clear my head, looked around the dark bedroom where I could see the moonlight shining around the edges of the curtains. Everything looked normal. My clothes slung across the chair, my dressing table in its usual state of disarray, the door firmly closed and the house silent. I shivered, breathed deeply a few times, and then I lay down again, pulling the quilt top around my neck. Maybe I should take Liz's advice and see a doctor. These dreams were getting more realistic to the point where I thought they were memories, even though I'd never been to this town before I moved here three years ago, except for the odd holiday. I had started having the same reoccurring dream a couple of months ago, but it didn't happen every night. Usually it happened once or twice a week. The dreams always had me running from some imagined monster, but it wasn't a monster that I knew, a person who betrayed me. I drifted off to sleep again and thankfully had no more dreams that night. I woke early the next morning, showered and went downstairs for breakfast before starting work. Although I couldn't really call running my own bookshop at work, I loved it. The previous owners had put up Redcliffe Books for sale when they retired and had no family to take it over. At the time, I had just persuaded my best friend and now business partner, Elizabeth, to take the plunge and apply for a loan together so we could invest in a shop. We had been working as office administrators in Manchester and it was a huge step to move all the way down here to Cornwall, but we loved it. Redcliffe is a beautiful tourist town and we get a lot of trade in the summer and during winter months we have regular clientele who keep the place ticking over steadily. I worked my magic on Liz and our loan was approved. Our offer on the shop was accepted and now here we are. In fact, Liz has me to thank for finding her husband Robert, who she now lives with in a little cottage across town. He's a university professor and met her when he came into the shop for some research shortly after we moved here. I now live in my own apartment above the shop, with my kitchen on the ground floor at the back. It suits me to simply wander from one room to another and be at work, so much better than that computing I used to do. I am certainly more suited to living in a town with lots of open space than I am to living in a crowded city. I adore having the sea and sand right there on my doorstep. It gives me a sense of freedom that I never felt in the city. It was 8.30am and I knew Liz had a doctor's appointment, so I picked up my coffee mug and wandered through to the shop to open up for the day. At this time of year we ran it between the two of us until it got busier, and then we would take on a couple of college students during the summer months to help us out. It was March and I was looking forward to the warmer weather, as we had suffered a particularly cold and snowy winter. As much as I enjoyed my cosy winter evenings tucked up under blankets on my sofa with a stack of books, DVDs and my favourite wine and hot chocolate, now I was restless for some sunshine and fresh air. The sun was shining and it did feel warmer which was wonderful as I unlocked the front door of the shop and flipped the sign to open. My first job was to check our online sales and packaging up anything for delivery. Then I had a few customers to deal with and decided to have a tidy up on our sale table. The shop isn't huge but it just fits our needs. It's a square bright room and our counter sits to the left of the door as the customers enter. Opposite there are floor-to-ceiling pine bookshelves built in, covering two walls and built around the window recesses framing it. Then in the middle of the room we have three large tables where we set up our promotions and special offers. We also have a picture window to the right of the front door as you face it, and here is where we set up our displays, depending on the time of year and the current trends. Redcliffe Books is a lovely light and airy shop, and we have a view out on the central shopping street which leads down to the promenade and beach. It was 11.30am when the door burst open and as Liz arrived in her usual flurry of chaos, her dark eyes were sparkling, her short black hair glossy and sleek and she was glowing with good health. I always envied her permanently tanned skin. 
She came rushing through the door, grinning from ear to ear, shouted a breathless morning at me, and then handed me an envelope. I looked at her curiously and opened it to find a card inside, plain white. The card turned out to be a scan photograph, the twelve-week image of Elizabeth's baby. My best friend was pregnant with her first child. I leaped out of my seat and flung my arms around her, almost crying with excitement as she laughed and hugged me tightly. What do you think, Jessica? She gasped excitedly. I'm going to be a mother! Liz stepped back and looked at me, smiling. My own smile resembled the proverbial Cheshire cat as I replied. It's wonderful, Liz. I'm so happy for you, I said. How the hell did you manage to hide this for me for three months? I gently chided her, not the slightest bit angry, of course. It was tough, Liz said, taking a deep breath. You know when I had that weird sickness bug? Morning sickness. And when you kept asking me why I was quiet? I didn't want to get ahead of ourselves by telling people before we had the first scan. But here it is, and the baby is perfectly healthy, and you are the first person I told straight from the hospital. She paused long enough to catch her breath properly and sat down on her office chair behind the counter. This was a huge surprise. I mean, I knew it was likely to happen. Elizabeth and Robert had been happily married for 12 months now and we were all mature enough to deal with having children. As I looked at her excited face, I felt so happy, but also a tiny little bit jealous. I wanted my own baby. But I didn't even have a boyfriend, so that wasn't going to happen for a long time yet. I would simply throw myself into being an adopted auntie for Liz's child. We spent the rest of the day poring over baby books and discussing her maternity arrangements. Of course she had to telephone her parents and I heard her mother's scream of excitement from my seat beside Liz. Her parents were so lovely. They still lived in the suburbs of Manchester but visited at least two or three times a year. They had made Redcliffe their holiday town and I enjoyed their visits. Elizabeth's parents had practically adopted me when we became friends. I had been a little distant with them at first, not wanting their pity, but eventually I grew to love them, and they were always there to offer support. I was so happy for them to have a grandchild to dote upon. While Liz was speaking to her mother, I let my mind wander. Perhaps I should seriously start looking for a new partner, a potential husband. I had never felt the need for anyone. I certainly didn't have a very good track record with men. There had been one or two who wanted more from me, but I was never prepared to give myself up. I enjoyed sex, of course, but when it came to heavy emotions, I got scared and ran away. It had a lot to do with me being an orphan, I knew that, but I also knew that I couldn't blame everything on that fact. Surely there were other orphans in the world that got married and settled down. I convinced myself that I just hadn't found the right man yet, and that it would happen when the time was right. Besides, I'd be running a business single-handedly while Liz was on maternity leave, so I had no time for a relationship now. I enjoyed my freedom, which I just wouldn't get if I had a partner and a baby. Nope, definitely was not right for me just yet. When I'm lost and I'm feeling cold When I'm tired and I'm feeling old When I'm lost in my life, I'm running away I'm sick and tired, don't tell me what to do You put me down when I'm feeling blue When I'm lost in my life Grass is green and I'm full of light When I'm lost in 
up to my local pub, The Ship Inn, to see my good friend Simon Bunce. He's the manager there, and I met him soon after we moved to Redcliffe. Simon will be an ideal boyfriend if he weren't gay. He's a surfer with a fit body and an attractive face to match. We first met Liz and I visited the pub shortly after our move. I met Simon on the beach a few times and made the mistake of flirting with him until I discovered the truth. Anyway, we hit it off, finding that we share the same sense of humour and love of the seaside, and eventually Simon and I became very close. He became my second best friend, the only other person I would let my guard down for. Simon's mother had been a single parent with schizophrenia, so his grandmother raised him. Sadly, his mother had committed suicide when he was a teenager, and his grand died of a heart attack before I met Simon. Sometimes I thought this was why we were such good friends. We both lived in the present and didn't have any of the usual emotional family baggage that so many other people seem to have. Simon's family were the staff at the ship and he was devoted to his job and to the business, just like me with my bookshop. I wanted to share Elizabeth's news with him. She wasn't as close to Simon as we all were. We all went out regularly together socialising. It was around 8pm when I got to the pub and Simon was behind the bar when I walked in. He looked a little harassed. Hey Jess, how are you? he said, his angular face flushed with heat from the hurryings round. Sorry, I know it's my night off, but someone's called in sick and I got busy and look, do you want to go upstairs while I sort this out, watch TV or something and I'll be with you as soon as possible? He was pulling a pipe while he spoke and there was a growing queue of customers building next to me. I smiled and leaned on the bar. I'd already thought about this possibility, knowing what Simon was like and the fact that the tourist season was slowly waking up ready for the Easter school holidays. It's all right, Simon, I've brought a book with me, I said. Just get me a glass of wine and come over when you get a minute. I've got something to tell you. I couldn't keep the excitement out of my voice. Simon grinned, made some sarcastic comment about me with my nose in a book again, and then went to serve the customers and get my wine. I had grown to enjoy sitting in the corner of the pub with a glass of wine and my book over recent months. Since Liz and Rob got married, they did more and more couple things together, and Simon was so conscientious about work that he was nearly always behind the bar or in the kitchen when I came to see him. I didn't really have any other close friends here, just hadn't found anybody else that I could be relaxed with. There was Sally, who I'd met through Simon, but she was a nurse at the nearby hospital and worked practically all the time. I liked Sally, though. She was like me, small and scrappy, maybe a little bit more so. 
She was very petite, but concealed a fiery temperament, and I certainly wouldn't like to get on the wrong side of her. I was used to being alone. I had been orphaned at a young age and never really felt comfortable with the foster families I was placed with. There was no surviving family that I knew of, and my relationship history with men was practically non-existent. My longest relationship had lasted around four months. I did feel lonely at home with just a television and my laptop for company, and there was only so much social networking I could handle. So I started bringing a book to the pub and chatting to Simon while he worked. Sometimes I brought my laptop and surfed the internet. I had claimed my own table near the fireplace, which gave me a good view of the room and the bar. Simon lived in the apartment above the pub. He managed it on behalf of his owner, a mysterious man who had apparently been working away for the last four years. Simon was very fond of the pub, and I had a feeling it had something to do with this mysterious landlord, one Danny Mason. I had questioned Simon about it, but he got a bit moody and changed the subject, saying it was just his boss and I shouldn't read too much into it. So I left him alone. The ship is a beautiful 17th century building and sits at the end of the promenade in Redcliffe Bay, nestled into the cliffs. It's rumoured to have been the smuggler's haunt back in the days of the pirates, and there is a huge ship's wheel mounted on the wall outside which can be seen all the way down to the promenade. Stories say that this wheel came from the first wreck that was looted, and the wheel is a constant reminder, a trophy from times past. I think these stories are very romantic, wild and passionate, very Daphne du Maurier. At the rear of the building, the beer garden and smoking area led to steps that take you right down to the beach. It even has a small enclosed children's play area with a climbing frame, swing and slide, and I could imagine Liz and Rob bringing their child here in the future for lazy Sunday afternoons. There's a car park at the side of the building, and the front of the pub opens onto the pavement, bordering the main coastal road. Legend has it that the cellars beneath the pub have tunnels and caves leading out of it, and that it was used by smugglers in the old days. I had asked Simon about the tunnels, but he laughed and said it was all talk, and if there were any, they had been blocked up long ago. So much for me going on an adventure. Inside the pub, there's a central hallway from front to back, from which you can enter the main bar on one side, a pool and games tape room on the other side, and a restaurant. There's also the staircase leading to the first floor, on which there is a function room, the manager's office, and public toilets. From the ground floor, there are doors leading from the corridor that take you into the kitchen, cellars and storerooms. I had actually been in a few of these rooms with Simon before now. From the first floor, there's another staircase, which leads directly up to Simon's apartment, a place I was very familiar with since we spent a lot of time watching old films and getting drunk together. I had just finished reading an especially intense chapter of my book and lifted my head for a minute while I had a sip of wine. It was a nice Merlot, my favourite kind, and the one that Simon had started ordering in just for me. Ah, the benefits of befriending a pub manager. I savoured the warmth and its fruity flavour as I swallowed. The clock above the bar said 9.10pm and the pub was quite busy tonight. Then again it was Friday, and all the locals had come in for a bar meal and few drinks to start the weekend. I looked around the large square room for any familiar faces, recognising a few people. Some were regular customers from my shop, and they smiled and nodded when they saw me looking. Others were people I'd met around town and got talking to, just casual acquaintances. I considered joining one of the groups to be sociable, seeing a few women from the hairdresser's salon next door to my shop. They would be excited to hear Liz's news, and I knew she wouldn't mind me telling people. My attention was distracted when I saw a man walk in that I'd never met before, and yet my heart literally jumped into my throat. It was bizarre. I watched as he approached the bar, and was surprised to see Simon glaring at him as he served a pint of beer. Did he know this man? They exchanged words, but I couldn't really tell what Simon said. He just looked very angry and hostile. I watched his handsome stranger transfixed somehow. I admired his profile, especially his firm bottom. I couldn't help but imagine him naked. Oh dear, maybe I should ease up on the wine. My stomach lurched as the man turned around to survey the room, caught my eye and approached the table, smiling. He walked casually, confident and relaxed. Hello, he said, in a deep and very sexy voice. I'm Jack. Um, tell me if I'm being forward, but do you mind if I sit here? 
He ruffled his hair with his left hand and my stomach lurched. I smiled back and shook my head, fighting not to be clumsy or silly. No, sit down, I replied, though inwardly I was ordering myself to stay calm and not make a fool of myself. He was gorgeous. He was tall and clearly muscular beneath the black blazer, smart grey button through shirt and black jeans that he was wearing. His face was all angles, manly and rugged, and his short dark hair slightly curling and he had a trace of stubble as though he hadn't shaved for a day or two. In fact, I noticed the envious glances from another woman in the room as he sat. I couldn't help but feel proud that he wanted my attention. It was silly, I know, but the human ego can never be understood. No matter how independent we women are, most of us are a sucker for a handsome face and a fit male body. He introduced himself as Detective Jack Mason, recently returned from a four-year undercover job in Scotland. The surname rang a bell and I couldn't figure out why. He had the most intense blue eyes, almost hypnotic, and for some reason I found myself desperate to keep his attention and I really wanted him to kiss me. It was such a strong attraction that I could feel my body reacting to him being so close. He seemed so strong somehow, and I could imagine his crushing physical strength, but I suppose that came with the job. As we talked, I could see the muscles rippling beneath his shirt when he removed his jacket. It took all my concentration just to focus on what he was saying. Jack explained that he had returned to his hometown and was revisiting his old haunts to reconnect with people and places. He was now going to be stationed at the local police headquarters. We fell into conversation and after a while he offered me a drink when he noticed my glass was empty. I accepted and watched him walk towards the bar with a confident, easy manner. Again, I watched that nice tight bottom of his in his well-fitting jeans and just looking at him sent more shivers through my body. It really had been too long since I'd had sex. Let's hope tonight I got lucky. I watched as Simon once again served Jack behind the bar, but he did not look happy. In fact, he slipped me a look that plainly told me he wasn't happy with me talking to this man. What was the harm? There's clearly an attraction between Jack and me, and at the very least I wanted to see what could happen, even if we just had a one-night stand. The two men seemed to be talking intently about something, and then Jack shook his head and came back over to our table with a glass of wine for me and another pint of beer for himself. Your friend seems very concerned about your welfare, Jessica, he said. He seems to think that I'll seduce you and have my wicked way. I laughed and shook my long auburn hair back in a manner I knew would be appealing. Yes, I said auburn, and one of my pet hates was when people referred to it as red hair or ginger. I blinked slowly at Jack, hoping he could see the desire in my face. I would never openly try and kiss him or anything. That just wasn't my style. Besides, I didn't want to come across as desperate. I do have some standards. I spoke in a voice that I hoped was full of promise. Oh, don't mind Simon, I said. He likes to pretend he's my big brother when it suits him. Anyway, I'm a big girl and I'm sure I could handle you. I winked and grinned. Jack laughed and put his hand on mine where it lay on my knee. I shivered at his light touch and fixed my eyes with him and as he stroked my skin. I'm sure you could, Jessica, he said. Maybe Simon should leave you to make your own decisions. I held my breath, concentrating on keeping my body still. My God, he was sexy. I had an incredibly strong urge to throw myself at him and I never felt like this before. In fact, I was always calm and in control, never showing my feelings. He drew his hand away slowly and changed the subject, but I found myself watching his lips as he talked and imagining how it would feel to kiss him. Jessica? I heard a faint accent in Jack's voice as he eyed me curiously. Are you all right? I roused myself, tossed my hair back over my shoulder and blinked slowly. Oh, sorry, what? My voice sounded sluggish and I felt a flush of embarrassment. I was just asking what you do, you know, work-wise, he said. Are you feeling okay? His face was full of concern. I laughed, the embarrassment rising to a flush on my cheeks, and I ineffectively tried to fan my face with a hand. I'm fine, sorry, Jack, I said. I think the wine's going to my head. I sat back in my chair, fighting a faint wave of nausea that suddenly overcame me. Jack moved to stand up. Maybe you need a bit of air, he said. Should we go outside? I nodded and shakily stood up. Yeah, okay.
What's the spring breathing jasmine and blows? What's the summer in all its glittering? What's the splendor of autumn to those who have buttered their freedom for being? Let the love of the land sacred People succeed. Let friendship and honor unite and flourish on both sides the tweed. No sweetness the senses can cheer. Corruption and ivory bind. No lightness the sun can clear. Or is the sum of the mind. Let the love of the land sacred rise to the love of the And show that's been 
and I'd like to thank everybody that's taken part. Catherine Green, the author of Love Hurts, for allowing us to do the preview of the book and for doing the interview. To Emma for doing such a great job of doing the preview. Uh, to Hobby Horse, to Joan of Arc and Celia Ferran for allowing us to use their music uh, as punctuation to the show and also to you for listening. I hope that you'll tune in again soon. If you want to drop us a line, you can send any emails to mail at cauldronfm.co.uk. If it's regarding becoming a presenter for us or you want to be part of a feature, then please write to moonshadowmedia at mail.com and if you want to just have a chat to us we can be found at at Cauldron FM on Twitter and Cauldron FM and Cauldron FM The Sound of Magic on Facebook and also to listen to us you can go to this site which is uh, cauldronfm.podomatic.com we also have a presence on cauldronfm.podbean.com and most evenings we are broadcasting on a site called vital.com and all you do is log on to that and then search through the channel listings and you'll usually find us in the high numbers and uh, then you can tune in and listen away to your heart's content so again thank you very very much for tuning in hope you've enjoyed it I'm the Merlin, this is Cauldron FM, and I'd like to say love and light and blessed be to everyone. Blessed be. Golden FM is a Moonshadow Media production.